Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on May 24th, 2015, on the basis of Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. There's a little trick you can use if you ever want to bring a spiritual conversation to an immediate end. Maybe that conversation is sort of a debate about a particular topic. One person believes one thing, another person believes another. Maybe that conversation is a little bit more personal in nature. Maybe someone is challenging the way that you think, something you've said, even the very life that you are living, and they are using the Bible to back them up. In either case, it can be a little bit uncomfortable, and so if you want to bring that spiritual discussion to an immediate end, you can simply say, Well, that's just your interpretation. It's very easy. It's very effective. It's very difficult to respond to that argument. But be forewarned, if you ever use that argument, it comes at a pretty steep price. You see, the second you try to undercut someone else's stance by referring to it as their interpretation you're really also undercutting your own stance by implicitly admitting that it's simply your interpretation. Furthermore, if one person's stance is simply their interpretation and another person's stance is simply theirs, then a third person could stand back, look at those two, and simply say, well, how in the world am I supposed to know who's right? Look, even these Christians can't agree on what the Bible says, and so why in the world would I even try to read it. Well, friends, make no mistake, that is exactly what Satan is trying to accomplish when he spreads this age-old lie that it's all just a matter of interpretation. He wants to convince us that it is impossible to arrive at a definitive understanding of God by reading the Bible. And he wants people to give up trying. So if Satan has been somewhat successful in spreading that lie, and maybe even among us at times, then what we're going to see in God's word today will probably come as a bit of a shock. Here's what we're going to see. The Bible actually requires no interpretation. At least not in the way that people normally mean that. In fact, what we're going to see is that whenever there is confusion, whenever there is disagreement about what God says in his word, it is always our fault, never his. Like I said, that might seem like a bit of a bold claim to make. What do you think we could do to prove it? Well, one thing would be if we could look back at a time when communication was absolutely perfect. A time when everybody understood one another perfectly and understood God perfectly. In fact, that's exactly what we have in front of us today. We're told in Genesis that in the days following the flood, the whole world had the same language and a common speech. In other words, not only did they speak the same language, but they used all of the same words for all of the same things. In other words, there were no dialects. There was no slang. There was no shorthand. Communication was absolutely perfect. 
And when it came to God's communication with mankind, there were basically two main messages that he had delivered. The first one was a promise. God had promised that he would eventually fix the problem of sin in the world by sending us a Savior. The second message was a command. God had told his people, I want you to fill the earth. Now, the two of those actually went hand in hand, that command and that promise. Think about that for a moment. If God's people of faith scattered into every corner of the earth as quickly as possible, then if and when some people fell away from that faith, they could never isolate themselves completely from people who still believed. No matter where they went, no matter where they traveled, they would eventually and inevitably come into contact with people who still knew and people who still believed God's promise. See, do you think one day people were sitting around sort of scratching their heads and wondering to themselves, now what do you suppose God meant when he said, fill? And what do you think God was getting at when he said, the earth? When one person stood up and said, you know, I think it means that God wanted us to fill the earth. Did another person stand up and say, no, that can't be it. That's just your interpretation. Of course not. That's silly, right? And so that can't possibly explain what happened in these verses. Instead of following God's command, this group of people decided that they were going to settle down. They found a well-watered plain in a place called Shinar a place where they would be able to grow crops with perfect ease, where they would have everything that they wanted and needed. They decided to build a city. They decided to put walls around themselves to protect them from attack. Finally, they decided to build a tower, a tower so tall that it would reach all the way up to the heavens, a way that they could avoid being scattered, a way that they could make a name for themselves so that generations to come would know just how great these people were. Again, it had absolutely nothing to do with any shortcoming in God's message to them. No, it was simply due to their own pride, their own sinfulness, their own selfishness. You see, even in a world where there was just one language, where communication was perfect, man still managed to use that language for selfish purposes. So here's the first question I want you to ask yourselves this morning. When we see confusion and disagreement about God in our world, isn't it possible that it's for the very same reason? Aren't their primary concerns oftentimes our primary concerns? Things like sustenance, safety, reputation. In fact, at times, aren't those things so important to us that they even become more important than what God's Word clearly says? When we're faced with a difficult decision that has spiritual implications, isn't it easy for us to think first and foremost, how's this going to affect my bottom line? Is this going to put me at risk? 
What are my friends going to think of me if I go ahead and do this? And friends, rest assured, if we do that, if we make those our primary concerns, we can make the Bible back us up. We can twist Scripture to make it say what we want it to say. If we decide that we're going to think or speak or act a certain way, we can make the Bible support us. It's really not even that hard to do. But we need to be honest. It's not because there's any insufficiency or inadequacy with what God's Word clearly says. It's not because, as the devil would tell us, that it's all just a matter of interpretation. No, it's simply a result of our sinful pride and selfishness. So does that prove what I said at the beginning? That the Bible actually requires zero interpretation. That whenever there's confusion or disagreement about what God's word says, it's always our fault, never his. Well, it starts to prove it. It proves that even in a world where communication is perfect, mankind can still mess it up with sin. But as you well know, we don't live in that world anymore. Communication is no longer perfect, and and this is why. God decided to confuse the languages of the world. God decided to make it impossible for these people to continue to build that city and build that tower, and that's why we call this place Babel. From that point on, everything that people said to one another simply sounded like babbling. That's why we wake up in a world today with 6,500 or so different languages being spoken. In fact, here we are, thousands of miles away, thousands of years removed from the time and place when God first gave us his word. Can we still say that the Bible doesn't require any interpretation and that whenever there's confusion about God, it's always our fault and never his? Well, in order to make that claim, we would not only need an example from a time when communication was perfect, we'd also need an example from a time when communication was anything but. We need a situation where there was a large group of people all gathered together in one place when none of them understood each other and when none of them understood God. That's exactly what was going on in Jerusalem 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead on the day that we call Pentecost. In Acts, we're told that in Jerusalem, There were Jews from every nation under heaven, speaking all kinds of different languages. And yes, they were God-fearing Jews. That's why they were there. But none of them understood, and probably most of them hadn't even heard, that just recently God had fulfilled that ancient promise he had made in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, even Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, didn't fully get how everything that Jesus said and everything that he did all fit together. And yet even then, the Holy Spirit was able to use language to make the truth about Jesus known. Suddenly those confused, cowardly followers who had been so unsure of what everything meant up until the time Jesus went back up into heaven, suddenly those disciples were given clarity and confidence to be able to speak to that crowd boldly 
Even though those disciples were uneducated Galileans, the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak the truth about Jesus in the native tongue of everyone who was there that day. Sure, Babel shows us that even in a world of one language, mankind can still use it for selfish purposes. But Pentecost shows us that even in a world of many languages, God can still use language for his saving purposes. And in fact, on that one single day, 3,000 of them heard the good news about Jesus, believed it, and were baptized. So here's the second question we need to ask ourselves today. Is there any reason to believe that God isn't still capable of doing exactly the same thing? I've said a couple of times that the Bible requires zero interpretation. Technically speaking, that's not true. Actually, all language requires some interpretation. The only question is how much and what kind. So we're going to do a little test this morning. I'm going to speak a statement to you, and you can interpret it for me. You can tell me what it means. Here it is. Yesterday, I ate ice cream for dessert. Do you realize how much interpreting you just did? When I said I, you interpreted that I was referring to myself and not the organ that I use to see things. When I said ate, you interpreted that I meant the past tense of the verb eat and not the number that comes between seven and nine. When I said dessert, you interpreted that I meant something sweet that you eat after dinner, not a verb that means to abandon or leave someone behind. So let me ask, was that tough for you? Was that a challenge? Did you even have to think about what you were doing while you were doing it? And when you were done, was there any confusion about what I meant when I said that? I'd be the first to admit that there are passages of the Bible, there are sections of God's Word where the interpretation is a little bit more challenging than that. But the vast majority of Scripture and every single central doctrine of the Christian faith is just that easy, as simple to interpret as yesterday I ate ice cream for dessert. And so what most people mean when they talk about interpretation, which is really to invent a meaning and then force it upon an otherwise deficient message, well, it's just not needed when it comes to God's Word. Way more often than not, God's Word sounds a little bit like this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Or like this. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or like this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Clear enough? 
You see, it really comes down to just two basic questions. Does God want to make himself known to us? At Babel and at Pentecost, we see that he absolutely does. Secondly, is God able to make himself known to us? At Babel and at Pentecost, we see that he absolutely is. In other words, in addition to everything that our God rules over, everything that is under his control and used for his purposes, our God is also the Lord of language. Contrary to what the devil tells us, it's not all just a matter of interpretation. No, as the Lord of language, our God wants nothing more than for us to know him. And as the Lord of language, he is fully able to make it happen. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.